Well, good morning. Hey, uh, I'm excited to kick off this new series. We're going to be going through the book of Ephesians. We're we'll uh, going to dig into this over the next probably 10 to 12 weeks, kind of give you a heads up. Now, I will warn you, this is not normal. Um, as a matter of fact, in my house, this is not accepted. But let me be, let me be clear. I will say this. Um, as much as it pains me, as a Broncos fan, to admit that the Chiefs are winning, <laughs> um, I, I do. Uh, I, I, I am. I'm more happy for y'all than uh, than anything else. I will say that. I'm not. I'm not going to lie. Uh, it's nice when your team isn't in it that at least maybe your friends uh, and family can uh, celebrate and rub it in your face a little bit. I don't know. I mean, so. Um, but the one thing I'm always reminded of is this. You know, at some point, this kingdom will pass away. Like, like, well, he may be a Chiefs fan, but Chiefs kingdom will pass away because the only kingdom that's going to last, right? Like Broncos kingdom, Cowboys kingdom, I don't care what you say, is going to be gone, right? And the only kingdom that's ever going to be around or that is going to be around is God's kingdom. So we're excited to jump into this identity series. Um, you kind of saw that sermon bumper. Matter of fact, I want to encourage you over the next, uh, really over probably the next two months, I want to challenge you to read the book of Ephesians every week. One chapter a day, six chapters, you could take a day off. To read the book of Ephesians every week. Do that on top of your regular devotional time and things like that. Because I believe that the book of Ephesians, as a matter of fact, I, I would say it this way. It is my favorite letter that Paul wrote, all right? Um, the book of Ephesians is a, is a, what we'll call a circular letter. Yes, it was written to the church at Ephesus, but if you know anything about the church at Ephesus, there were a lot of churches around that area. It's in modern-day Turkey uh, that were made up. Matter of fact, if you were to read the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, there are seven letters to these churches in what we called Asia Minor, and those seven letters uh, were written to them, churches like Pergamum. In Ephesus, Thyatira, Smyrna, as well as Laodicea, and, and Philadelphia. So I want you guys to know what's going on as, as Paul writes this letter. He's writing it to the church at Ephesus, but it becomes a circular letter that travels to all of those churches, those regions, to encourage them, right? It is encouraging them Number one, on their identity in Christ, and then number two, what God has called them to be as a result of their identity in Christ. So this is a general letter. It's written to Gentile believers, not Jewish believers. It was written to Gentile Christians in the province of, of Asia, all right? It was written between 60 and 62 AD, roughly. Matter of fact, it was written at the same time as the book of Colossians, as well as the book of Philemon that Paul wrote, um, and it was... It was a port city. The city of Ephesus was a port city in what is modern-day Turkey. If you love to read the Bible and you want to kind of see what this is going on, if you know anything about the book of Acts, the book of Acts is the story of the spread of the gospel, right? Across what we would say would be modern-day, the modern-day world at that time, okay? If you were to go in and read the book of Acts, chapter 18 through basically chapter 20, you're going to hear about Paul's journey into Ephesus, the starting of the church, and eventually that's where the letter or the writing of this letter comes in. So I wanted to tie some things in there so you can begin to understand the reality of, of, of Ephesians and what it means. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 1 through 14. Now I'm going to start off 
We're going to read the first six verses, and then as we go, we'll read the rest of it as we get to those points. If you would, grab your Bible, stand with me. If you don't have a Bible, you can read on the screen behind me. And we're going to read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of who? God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. In other words, those are the ones who have been set apart. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Everybody say, blessed us. Blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing is what he's talking about in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. You can have a seat and let's pray. Father, we pray today that your word would be central, that Christ would be magnified, that the spirit would move, and that God, you would be glorified in all things. God, speak to us through your word and that your spirit would convict us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You know, in this letter, Paul conveys a pastoral heart for the Ephesian believers by focusing on their position, right? And what I want to draw our attention to is this idea that we have a position in Christ, that he wants to focus with these believers on who they are in Christ and then on their practice, how they should live in light of this new identity. So what we're going to see over the next couple of weeks, over the next couple of months, is this idea of the practice of a believer. In other words, their identity. That's why this sermon series is, 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 is titled that, the identity. Who are you and who am I in Christ? And I think that's important to understand because in today's world, identity is all about who you say you are, right? Like, I mean, that's the reality of what's going on in most of our society is identity is who you say you are, but the reality is God says your identity is who you are in me. Your identity is wrapped up in who you are in Jesus Christ. And then likewise, as a result of that, he wants us to see our purpose or our practice. In other words, how are we to live in light of our identity? Your identity matters, right? And so how I live in light of my identity speaks volumes about who I am or whose I am, if we want to put it in that way. Matter of fact, as I prepared for this. Today's sermon title is called Why Worship, and I wanted to talk about why I believe Paul is addressing this issue of worship. He's going to bring a number of things to our thought process, but I wanted to think about it this way. Worship, what is it? What does it involve? Like, I think this week is evidence that worship takes place in our world. (laughs) I mean, This is just a small glimpse, right? The Super Bowl is not the only issue, but it is evidence that worship takes place in our world. Matter of fact, there are great lengths that people will go to just to get to the Super Bowl. Matter of fact, I had to look this up. I wanted to see. Did you know that the average ticket price was $8,600? And they went into the upper echelon of $45,000 a ticket. Like, I'm like, can I have the money? that you spend on a ticket, and I get donated to anybody. I don't care, but just $45,000. Airfare was up 112%. 
Your hotel room in Las Vegas for one night, the average hotel room in Las Vegas for one night is $750. I wish I lived in Vegas because I'd have rented out my house for the week and probably paid for my house, right? Like <laughs> Airbnb, I'm out. See you later. You guys have fun. Of course, who knows what would have happened to it by then, but uh, the cost of food, which I'm going to speak speak from experience. Two years ago, we were on our way to Montana. We got our our layover. I've told the story before. And I can only imagine what food costs because I took my son and daughter out to eat for breakfast in Vegas. It cost us $81. And that wasn't in the Super Bowl. So what's it going to cost this week? $165 to go to breakfast? Like, it just blows my mind. Matter of fact, I saw this 5%, so they interviewed 1,000 Taylor Swift fans. 5% of Taylor Swift fans, Swifties, right, surveyed are planning on attending the Super Bowl just to see their idol. Now, if that's not worship, I don't know what it is. And they'll spend an average of $7,094 to do so. Asked what they would do to attend, 21% of Swifties said they would get a second job. 7% said they would go into debt, and 1% said they would sell an organ. (laughs) Now, what's that you'll get? (laughs) Here's what I wanted to focus on, and listen, I think it's great. I I, I really do. I think it's it's neat to see what's going on, but I also want to say this, is that I think worship is all around us, right? Whether it's sports, whether it's politics, whether it's movie stars and, and, and popular people there, you know, music. Worship goes on all over the place. And oftentimes worship plays out in our life and all we got to do is just show what is a priority, right? We show what's prioritized by what we do. And I believe that Ephesians magnifies the importance of the church. And in a day where people do not value the church, this is important. Matter of fact, Ephesians is going to dig in and say, listen, here is why the church is so vital. And you may sit back and you go, I don't get the big deal, right? But I want you to know this. The church is not the building. It never has been. It never will be. Buildings will fail. Buildings will crumble. Buildings will fall apart. Matter of fact, did you know that the seven churches in Revelation are no longer in existence? They don't exist. Churches, to a certain extent, if we want to call them like that, if we were to identify in this way, churches run cycles, and churches are born, and churches die, and there's, there's things that go on like this, but I do believe this, that the church will never die. The church will never die. And so here today, we're going to jump into what it means to, to think about what is worship. Why do we worship? What is our response? And I want you to remember this. This is our key idea from everything. I want you to remember this. Worship is our response to who God is and what he has done. That's worship. And there are all kinds of ways to respond in worship. You can respond to worship in obedience. You can respond in worship through song. You can respond and worship through giving. You can respond and worship through prayer. You can respond and worship by sharing the gospel with others. All of these things are responses in worship to who God is and what God has done. It's a natural response to the grace and the blessing and the work of God in our lives through Christ. Notice what he says in verse 3. What is the first word in verse 3? Praise. Praise is what? Worship. 
And he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Worship is our response to who God is and what he has done. Ephesians, I believe this wholeheartedly, that Ephesians deepens our understanding of the gospel. We live in a day with a lot of superficial Christianity. Shallow teaching abounds in our churches. It's led to times a very unhealthy picture of Christianity, a very unhealthy picture of the church and what the church is to be and who the church is to be. And listen, one in which many today reject. And I believe that Ephesians is the knock on the door for the church to wake up to identify who we are as individuals and then our role as a church body as a whole to contribute to the very kingdom of God that God has built us for. See, many people I believe today reject the church, not because they don't like Jesus, but because they don't like the Christians who are in it. And you may say, well, I don't like that statement. Okay, that's fine. My question then would be is this, what are you doing to change it? How do you serve the Lord in obedience and at the same time relate with those who are far from Jesus and communicate the truth of the gospel? That is of utmost importance to be in the world, but not of the world, right? And yet for some reason, when I talk about this idea of the superficial, shallow teaching Christianity is that we've got in our minds that we can continue to walk and do whatever the heck we want when the reality is that the Bible is very clear that God called us to be something that is separate, different, and separated out from. So Ephesians provides us this grace-filled encouragement. If you feel tired, if you feel beat up, if you feel lonely, if you feel confused, then Ephesians I believe is perfect for you. If you came in here with a heavy burden, a worry, some anxiety and stress, I believe that Ephesians is an uplifting book that will challenge you and help you as you walk through it. We need the gospel every day. Every believer should understand that. Just because you come to faith in Christ doesn't mean you walk away from the gospel. The gospel should be preached to myself daily that I am a sinner saved by grace, saved through the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. And every day I'm going to preach that to me so that when I come into contact with somebody who doesn't know that, I can remember and I can think about the good news of the gospel, the grace of Jesus poured out on me, a sinner who didn't deserve it. So worship is our response to who God is and what he's Done. I want to draw our attention to four things just very simply. Number one is this. You and I were made for worship. Now, for those of you who are Chris Tomlin fans, you might remember that song, You and I Were Made for Worship. I think it's about 10 or 12 years old. But it's this whole idea that we were made to worship the Lord. And you may be a person today who says, I don't believe in God right now. I'm kind of struggling with some things like this, but I want you to know that God created you to worship. Matter of fact, I believe a lot of our responses and things through sports and different things like that is the simple fact that our heart has a desire to worship. We just have the worship of the wrong things in the wrong times. 
He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's the beautiful thing about in this one verse, verse three, he unpacks the the power of the worship of God in the Trinity in one simple verse. You notice God the Father, you notice God the Son, and at the end he says, every spiritual blessing. You and I receive the spiritual blessings from the Holy Spirit because we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit in Christ, which we'll jump into more here in just a little bit. But spiritual blessings are in Christ. In other words, it's the idea that we get the blessings of God through our relationship in Christ. Did you know that this phrase appears 11 times in the book of Ephesians? The spiritual blessings in Christ? Keep that in mind because if you're a person who I said just feels beat up, discouraged, and stuff like that, these are the promises of what it means to be in Christ, the identity we have in Christ. So praise is this idea of what? Celebration, right? Right? We look around, we look at what's going on. As a matter of fact, what is praiseworthy or what is praised in most of our society, right? We can talk about sporting events, politics, rallies, concerts, all kinds of movies and things like that. But listen, he lays it very simply out that we are blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So we're made to worship. That's primary or focus number one. Number two, I want you to see is this, that we were chosen by the Father, Now, I've wrestled with this. A lot of pastors have wrestled with this, and I want to be very clear. There are some who are Calvinists. There are some who are Arminian. You're going to hear people say that I believe that some were predestined for heaven and others were predestined for hell. I believe some were chosen for heaven and some were chosen for hell. I want to be very clear that God chose us before he created the universe, so our salvation is only by his grace and not by anything we do. Now, let me clarify something real quick. Because I believe when we paint ourselves into a camp, whether Calvinist or not Calvinist, then we begin to understand or or misunderstand that there are things that we're just not going to understand in this life. And what I mean by that is this. I don't believe that God creates people to send them to hell. I believe very sincerely in God's sovereignty God's predestination, God's election, however you want to call it. And I also believe, based upon Scripture, in man's free will to do what he wants to do based upon the work of the Spirit. In other words, God can be drawing a person. He says, I wanted this person in heaven. I sent my son to die on the cross so they would be in heaven. But a person, because of the wickedness of their heart, says, not going to do it. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. I'm not going to listen to the truth. I'm going to reject. And as a result, we see God's sovereignty and human freedom at play together. And what we can sit back and say is this, that I don't think we're going to completely understand all of it because it doesn't make sense to us. It's very clear that he chose us in Christ. That's what he says. Not ourselves and for a purpose, right? It says that. For he chose us in him, that's in Jesus, before the creation of the world, so, or sorry, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. Here's what we see in God's choosing or in God's being chosen by God the Father. There's this mystery of divine sovereignty and human responsibility that will never be solved in this life. Both are taught in the Bible, both are true, and both are essential according to Warren Wiersbe. God saved you when he chose you in Christ, but that alone didn't save you. You were saved when Jesus died for your sins on the cross. 
As far as the Spirit is concerned, you were saved when you yielded to his conviction and repented of your sin and received Christ. So what I'm trying to say here is this. There are people who want to argue about this whole idea of being chosen and election and and all of these things, and there is a simple explanation, and that is this, that you and I aren't going to get it. I believe wholeheartedly in God's sovereignty. I believe that God knows who's going to be saved and who's not. But I also know that God has given us the opportunities and that God is knocking at the door and it says, whosoever will, right? That God is slow, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to faith in Christ. So there's that, there's that struggle, right? There's not necessarily an election to where he says, I chose certain people and others I just kind of kicked to the curb, but rather the fact that there is a supernatural occurrence going on of God's divine sovereignty and human responsibility. And please hear me out when I say this, that we're chosen by the Father that I believe that every one of us are made in God's image, that according to scripture, we are made in God's image, that God put inside of you a desire to know your maker, your creator, that God sent his son so that you can have a relationship with him. And yet at the same time, God gives us the opportunity through the sin in our lives to, to reject him. So make no mistake about it, what began in eternity past was fulfilled in time present and will continue for all eternity. In other words, God's plan will never be thwarted. It will never be changed. It will always go on. So he says, for he chose in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. Please hear me out when I say this. You and I are called to be separate, different. And my question to you would be this, when we talk about identity, are you a person who walks in holiness an uprightness, blameless, because that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to make you holy, to set you apart, to make you blameless, because now, listen, all the blame is cast at the feet of who? Really, it's laid upon the shoulders of Jesus on the cross. That when we confess our sins, the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us of any and all unrighteousness. Verse 5, it says, in love, he predestined us to be adopted. I want to focus on that just for a second. We were chosen by the Father to be adopted as sons, as his sons, through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Adopted means it gives this idea that God gives his born ones an adult standing in the family. We can immediately begin to claim our inheritance. In other words, it's this idea that wherever you're at, that you are adopted into the family regardless of what you've done in the past. Why? Because of the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. And that adoption, you can stand up and you can say, well, my family was jacked up. And God goes, great, because this one's not. We were adopted by the Father through the Son in accordance with his pleasure and will. Please hear me out when I say that. In accordance with his pleasure and his will. Do you get that picture? It pleased God to sacrifice his son on the cross. Do you get that? It was the payment that we couldn't pay and it pleased him. It was according to his pleasure and his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. That's the grace of God, right? We were at uh, 
uh, oh my gosh, I'm going brain dead last week out at um, Odessa. Hope of Lake Lafayette. Was that last week? Yeah, okay, sorry. <laughs> you get older, you kind of start to forget things, right? Um, but we were at Hope of Lake Lafayette out in De- Odessa last week. I had a great time. There's probably about, I don't know, there's probably about 60 people at least. Um, our, matter of fact, I'll let you know our worship team's going out every other week and be leading on Sunday nights. Um, there are the, we had them, we had Chad here not too long ago, back in January. Chad planted a church out in Lake Lafayette, out near Odessa, poor area, really struggling, and uh, just had a phenomenal time. But I want us to understand, I want to play this out when we think about it, that he has freely given us in the one he loves in Christ. We are accepted by God the Father as a result of Christ because of God's grace we are accepted. And that's what I was getting to. Uh, last week, the guy who was pastoring or, or preaching, his name's Scott. Uh, Scott pastors a church in Bates City. Scott said, uh, you know, the, the acronym GRACE, God's riches at Christ's expense. And it just made me think about that, this whole idea of God's grace. It was God's grace that led us to be adopted, that leads us to be accepted in Christ. The third thing I want you to see is we're redeemed by the Son. If you have your Bibles, you can flip to verse 7. I'm going to read verses 7 through 12. It says this, in Him, this is in Jesus, we have redemption through His what? Through His blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Notice God's grace again. That He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he proposed or purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. You know, when I talk about this idea of worship and worship being our response to who God is, we said that we're made for worship. We said that we worship as a result that we were chosen by the Father, but I also want us to know that we worship as a result of being redeemed by the Son. When you and I come in on a Sunday morning and we spend time in worship, it's a response to the redemption that was provided by Jesus on the cross. It's the hope that we have and the blessing we receive from the Son, that He redeemed us, He forgives us, He reveals God's will, He will... And it's all for the praise and glory of God. See, this whole idea is this, that Jesus purchased us and set us free by paying the price. That Jesus purchased the slaves and set them free. When Paul's writing this letter, please make no mistake about it, did you know that at the time there were over 60 million slaves in the world at that point point in time? Slavery was common. Over 60 million slaves. And what would happen is they would go into an area and they would buy and sell slaves all the time. But here's what happens. When Paul starts talking about this, Paul starts talking about this idea of purchasing a slave and setting them free. Jesus paid the price to purchase the slaves of sin and he says, you're now free. He who has the son is free. Yes, free indeed. 
So it carries this idea for us to understand that we were redeemed by the Son. We were purchased by the Son. He bought us. He purchased us. He calls us to live holy and blameless lives, and we've been set free to walk in the obedience that he calls us to. If you were to flip to 1 Peter chapter 1, he says it this way in verse 18, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you but from the forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. This this whole idea that we were redeemed by the Son, so as a result, because of the redemption, we worship God for who he is and what he has done. God their Father chose us. He predestined us. And please hear me out when I say this. When I'm talking about predestination, I hope you get this nailed in your head. That I believe that God predestines people for heaven. But because of the wickedness in the heart, they suppress the truth and they turn from the good thing that God offers. So please make no mistake about it. We are redeemed We are purchased, and it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. I want to draw these things out real quick, and then we're going to move on to the last point. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace, and then as a result of that, it says in verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. In other words, he knew the plan he had through Christ, so he makes known the mystery of his will which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect. And then it says in verse 12, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. When we respond in worship, everything that we do in our life is for the praise and glory of God and God alone. That should be the response. That everything else is secondary. Everything else is not primary. That God is primary. That first and foremost, all that I do with everything I have is all for him. Why? Because that's what he's laying out. That it might be for his praise and his glory. Now, make no mistake about it. It's easy to be what? Selfish. Self-centered. Focused. It's all about me. Right? When the truth is that it should be all about Christ. And then if we said that worship is our response to God and who he is and what he's done, then I want us to see this, that we were marked in the spirit. Look at verses 13 and 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth. The gospel, in other words, the good news of your salvation, having believed you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Notice you see the word praise again. This is an ongoing theme that we see here in this first part of chapter one, that it's all about the worship of God. But I want you to notice that we are marked or sealed in the spirit. And he says that, that when we respond to the word of truth, the gospel of salvation We were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. This whole idea of seal or mark is a mark of ownership or authenticity. In today's world, we kind of look at it as branding, branding cattle. Now, growing up in Wyoming, this is pretty easy for me to remember, but it's this idea that you're sealed, you are owned. 
right? You go on to any ranch in Wyoming and their cattle are branded. They're marked. If they're stolen, there's an easy way to identify the cows, right? That's got my brand on it. That's my cow and I didn't sell it. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does is that we're marked, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Did you know that the Bible is very clear and it says it in a, in a very simple way in Romans chapter 8. I'm going to flip over there real quick because I do want to read it. Romans chapter 8. Matter of fact, I think the verses will be on uh, the screen above you. Romans chapter 8 verse 9 says, You, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. You are branded, you are marked, you are sealed by the Spirit. And if you don't have the Spirit, this simple statement, you don't have Jesus. Verse 16 in chapter 8 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So listen, the Holy Spirit is a guarantee of our final inheritance. Really, the Holy Spirit is like going in and making your first payment on a house. Once you've made that payment... Who's on the hook? You are, right? <laughs> I mean, it's a down payment. The Holy Spirit is the down payment for the inheritance you are going to receive from the Father as a result of the Son's work because you are sealed by the Spirit. Do you see the unity of the Trinity taking place right here in 12 verses? There is hope for us, and the simple fact is that I believe that our response in worship is to worship God for who He is, God the Father, the one who chooses, God the Son, the one who redeems, God the Spirit, the one who marked me or seals me for my future inheritance. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3, and I'm going to close with this verse, says it very simply in this way, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. I brought up the fact that at some point, this kingdom will cease right here. But your inheritance, the kingdom of God, will never cease, will never fail, will always be there. Why? Because if you're a believer, you were chosen by God. First of all, I want to tell you this, that I believe that God chooses people, that he has chose you. But I also believe that God gives us that human responsibility, the will that Romans 1 talks about to say, I either follow the truth or I reject the truth. And as a result of that, if you reject Christ, you are rejecting the truth. God's desire, matter of fact, we said this a couple weeks ago when we did our sermon on hell. God did not create hell for humanity. God created hell for Satan. But humanity chose hell when they choose to reject the Savior and to follow their own way. So please make no mistake about it, that God is calling you. I believe that God's drawing you, that there's a point in time where the Holy Spirit is knocking at the door, where the Bible says, behold, I stand at the door of the knock, and anyone who answers or lets me in will come, and I will eat with them, and they with me. And that's the reality, is that the Spirit's knocking, the Spirit's calling you, the Spirit's saying, you need Jesus, you need to put your faith and trust, you need to repent, you acknowledge yourself as a sinner, you turn from that way, and you call on Jesus to save you, you will be saved. But listen, 
Listen, worship is our response to who God is and what he's done. All three persons are active in these first 12 verses, and I believe and I hope that you will be challenged by the book of Ephesians over the next couple months as we dig in and look at our identity in Christ, our identity, who we are in the Trinity or within the Trinity, right? Like how the, the Trinity wants to work in our lives and then what God has called us to be as a people or as a result. Let's pray.